Wow, that was some good stuff. That was awesome. And how about those roasted spiced peanuts or nuts that are out in the... Woo! I haven't had any since I got here because Kim was making some of those in our house. And so every time I walk through the kitchen, grab some, walk back in, grab some more. I had nowhere to go. I just kept on going back and forth and eating those. So that was good. Good stuff. Well, if I didn't get a chance to meet you, my name is uh, Harold. I'm the campus pastor here at Grace Point Church. And as we say, we are one church, three locations. So there's Grace Community Church in Fremont. And then there's Grace Community Church in Tiffin. And then there's Grace Point Church in Northwood. Um, we couldn't go with Grace Community Church because over here in East Point, there's already a church with the name Grace Community. You know, we didn't want to confuse people. We already have people getting kind of confused. Uh, they'll show up over that church and then realize, I don't think this is the same church. And then they find their way here. So if that happened to you tonight, I, I apologize. Um, but again, people usually get it figured out, which is pretty good. Now, we don't typically talk or associate uh, fear with Christmas, but it's interesting. We've already talked about um, some passages in Luke that we're going to look at tonight, and we've already seen where the angels show up, and they're talking to Zacharias, they're talking to Mary, and they say, do not be afraid. I don't know if you've ever been afraid. Uh, I can think of three times in my life where I've really been afraid. I, I won't tell you about all of them, but I will tell you about one. I won't go into the circumstances behind it. But I can remember a time, I was actually college age, and I was so scared, I literally was spitless. Like, I had nothing there. I was scared, spitless. And I felt the blood, felt like it was draining out of my body. And I was in a room that had heat, but I was freezing. I've never been that scared before in my entire life, which I really appreciate. And I don't know, maybe you've been uh, fearful, but here's the deal. Everyone has a common fear. I don't know if you've thought about this, but everybody has a common fear, and the common fear is a fear of God. Now, where, how does that happen? Well, it typically happens as you get older and you start hearing about the fact that there's some infinitely powerful being that we call God, and He judges people for their sin. And when we hear that message, that, that's a little scary to think that there could be a being who created us that's that powerful and would actually judge us for our sin. And so there's, there are ways people respond. And so, for instance, um, atheists, they'll, they'll say, well, I can't believe that there'll be such a God like that. There's, just, there's no way that there'd be a God who would create people, and then when they sin, that he's going to send them to an eternity in hell. So what they do is they'll just say, well, there is no such a God like that. There is no God. And if you tell yourself a lie long enough, that lie becomes truth. And, and so then they kind of, you know, ignorance is bliss, and they're going to kind of go through their life believing that there is no God. I'm just putting a name. We're all sinners, but I'm putting this out. These are individuals, and I've talked to, I've talked to people in each of these three that we're going to look at, but this is the person who says, well, I'm too sinful. I've done too many bad things. I've really messed up my life, and there's no way that God could ever forgive me. And since I know I'm going to spend eternity in hell, I'm just going to live up this world. I'm going to do whatever I can do to distract myself and have fun. But the sad thing is, is people who are in that mindset, a lot of times they, they self-destruct um, because 
these things that are distracting themselves with actually become addictions to them. And then there's a third group that are the religious. And so these are people who go, oh man, if, if God's going to um, judge me for my sin, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to do everything I can do in order to get God to love me, to get God to, to win his favor. And so they'll, they'll go to church and they'll do some religious traditions and rituals. And, and sometimes people are not even like church religious. They're just kind of spiritual or, or just have a sense of, I just want to be a good person. And the problem with that is they never know if they're good enough because they know how sinful they are. And so they never know, have I done good, enough good stuff to get God to, to think good of me or to accept me into his heaven? And this is the great thing about Christmas. This is, it's, it's awesome for you guys to be here tonight because the message of Christmas is what the angels are going to tell the shepherds tonight and what they've already talked to Mary about and they've already talked to Zacharias about in the previous chapters. And that is, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of God because God has made peace with him possible for us. And so the atheists can know, yes, there is that kind of God, and yes, he is going to judge sin, but God's made it possible to have your sin forgiven, to have a relationship with him. And the sinner can know, that, man, no matter how bad I've sinned, no matter how bad I think I am, God is willing and able, because he's infinitely powerful, to forgive that sin, to make them right with God. But then also this self-destructing lifestyle can end. And for the religious people, that they can know, wow, something's been done that is enough. That they don't have to worry, have I done enough? Because Jesus is the one who has done everything that could be done, that needed to be done. He's God. He's also man. And so he's done it often. And so Christmas is about that gift, that the gift that God offers to you. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And um, we're now in chapter 2. We're going to continue on into the new year. Uh, it's page 1020 if you're using the Bible there in the seats. Um, and, and we're going to see what God has for us. And so I'm going to read some, talk some, read some, talk some. It sounded like a little jingle there for a second. So if you're there, and even if you're not, I'm going to go ahead and start. It's up here on the screen. And also, just uh, again, if you're a first time, uh, first time with us, again, welcome. Great to have you here. Um, but what I do is, uh, as I'm reading the Bible... I have a tendency, you know, you may do this or not, I don't know, but I have this tendency as I'm reading, I'll, I'll get done with a verse or two and be like, wait, what did I read? And so what I've learned to do over the years is I put notes down and, you know, I have a journal with me and I, I put notes down or I have my computer and I put notes down. And so what I've done is here now as I'm teaching, I kind of throw in information that's kind of helpful, I think, to you guys. So hopefully it is for you. If not, um, anyways, mine are the yellow I tried doing red for Christmas or green. It didn't show up real well. So we have to go with yellow. Anyways, so now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, whose real name is Octavian, Octavius, Octavian. He's a grandnephew of Julius Caesar. That a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Now we, we all get the fact that this is just the Roman Empire. Uh, Rome thought a lot of themselves. They figured wherever we are, that's what's really the world. There's more people around the world at that point, but... Anyways, so it's really of, of the Roman Empire. Uh, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own town. Now, before we continue on, I just want to just give you a little bit of a reminder here. As we're reading the Christmas story, we have a tendency to think, oh, well, this is a cute little children's story. I think some of you guys are thinking, I'd like to go into the quad and see what the kids are doing. I saw a Roman soldier standing there, and I saw some angels. And it's not just a, it is a great story for kids, but it's not just a cute little kid story. It's not a, a once upon a time fairy tale. Luke is giving us detailed information. He does it in chapter 1, chapter 2, and in chapter 3 that we can go research. We can go uh, figure out, is this, is this, does this really happen? Or is it a fairy tale? Well, it really happened. This is an event that happened within world history. When it comes to world history, people aren't really, you know, focused in on it. They're more focused in on uh, Julius Caesar and, you know, those guys. Not so much on this, but what other first century event has ever taken place that we still, 2,000 years later, celebrate it worldwide? This has made a huge impact. Now, there is a debate over Quirinius, who is the governor of Syria. So some would say, well, Luke got this information wrong. Josephus is one of those. He's a Jewish-born Roman historian. He's not a Christian. He wrote between 70 and 90 A.D., so it was 40 to 60 years after Jesus. And he claimed that Quirinius reigned from 5 to 6 A.D., well, Jesus was born during the reign of Herod the Great, who died nine years before Quirinius was governor. And so they would say, well, see, he couldn't have been, Luke can't be right. He's messed things up, and because he's not right, you, you really can't believe anything he has to say. But there's the other side of it, and that's for Luke. Thank you. So he's a non-Jewish Christian doctor, uh, we know that he's gone around and he's interviewed eyewitnesses and gotten reports, and, and that's how he's gotten his gospel, which is actually a letter to a friend of his called Theophilus. He wrote much earlier than Josephus, 60 to 62 AD, which was less than 30 years after Jesus. He knew and traveled with eyewitnesses. He knew Mark personally, and he knew Peter. He also knew Paul, but Paul wasn't necessarily an eyewitness like Mark and Peter were. But here's the deal. In the 19th century, in the archaeology, they found that Quirinius was actually proconsul in the same area starting back in 11 B.C., all the way up to the death of Herod the Great. And they found his name on a coin from that period. Now, Quirinius ordered two censuses. Sensei? Yeah, Whatever you, whatever you say, I don't know. Two of them. One, there, here, and the second one, Acts chapter 5, he talks about there. So, again, unless you, unless you have some sort of bias against Christianity, Luke, who's writing closest to the events, which all scholars would say, people writing closest to the events are more believer, believable than those who are writing further from the event. And again, archaeology has helped us out with that as well. All right, we're going to keep on going. So Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So this is a 95 to, or 85 to 90 mile walk. So it's going to take at least a week. You know, that's if you figure you're walking three miles per hour, which you're you know, possibly not doing it. 
It fulfills Micah from the Old Testament, which was written 400 years earlier, a prophecy that he had. Because he did this because he was a house of the family of King David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now I'm going to take a break here again. So I've been, I've been raised in church. Um, those who are part of Grace Point Church, you've heard this. I, I was born on Wednesday in church on Sunday, you know, that type of thing. I, I've been at church all my life. And we get this sense from Mary and Joseph. In fact, I played Joseph one time, which <laughs> wasn't a very attractive-looking Joseph. Literally, I was walking around my town leading a donkey with this girl who I actually wanted to date, but she didn't want to date me. Um, on this donkey, we'd go around to different homes from our church and take pictures, and it was the story of us going from house to house, and they're rejecting us, including my own parents. <laughs> it, was, it was really traumatizing. But anyways, but with Mary and Joseph, we have to understand something. First of all, we've sterilized it. We, we've got Mary and Joseph walking on a starlit night, right? And you can see Mary's on the back of the donkey going, Oh, Joseph, aren't these beautiful stars? And he says, Yes, there they are. Now, they're probably going in a caravan of people. There's a bunch of people from Nazareth who are going to make this trip, and they're going to probably pick up people as they go all the way back down to Bethlehem, 85 to 90 miles. They're going to do that because it's very, there's no way that Mary and Joseph are going to be traveling by themselves. There's just too many people out there ready to rob them. And so they're in a caravan. These are two unmarried teenagers. Now, we get it. Back then, they were getting married as teenagers, older teenagers. But these two were unmarried, and she's pregnant. I get it today. Not a big deal. Happens all the time. But back then, that was culturally unacceptable to the point that these two are probably social outcasts. If there's a caravan moving along, which we think there is, they're probably at the back. And there's nobody going back, hey, how you doing? Hey, Mary, how you doing? They, they are being ostracized. They are being rejected by the people because this is not something that was supposed to happen. Add to the fact, let's say if just somebody does come up to them and just say, hey, you know, tell us your story. You know, hey, Mary, you know, how did... You know, you're pregnant. You know, how did, you know, how did... Oh, an angel uh, came and told me that, uh, well, God was going to make sure that I was pregnant. You know, it, just that story alone would call them to be like, yeah, maybe Mary's not all, you know, she's a little off bubble there on her level. She's not quite right. In fact, we're not told this, but there's a good chance that when they did get to Bethlehem, if they did find family, they wouldn't be allowed in. That's why they had to find the Bethlehem Inn. And then, of course, they couldn't get in there either, so then they are in a stable. So when they get there, Luke tells us that while they're there in Bethlehem, while they're hanging out in a stable, Mary gives birth. And she takes the baby, she wraps him in cloths and cloth, and she lays him in a manger, because, again, the Bethlehem room had no inn. And maybe the baby kind of looked like this. So that's Sarah's son, James Harold. Thank you very much. And uh, anyway, I just thought it'd be kind of cute to throw that up there. Uh, Lord willing, they're actually coming home uh, tomorrow. So out of the NICU and all that kind of stuff. So that's what we're praying for. Anyway, that just, you know, shameless uh, promotion there. But um, cute kid. It's just a uh, huge answer to prayer. Uh, God just did some neat things there for Sarah and for, 
and for James, and so we're, we're excited about that. Anyways, so something incredible happened. Here's, here's what happens. In the same region, so the fields around Bethlehem, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, this is kind of cool. So when the Bible talks about God's glory, people say, glory, what's that? God is so perfect that he shines. His perfection emanates a light. That's how perfect he is, how sinless he is. And so this shines around this angel, and they were terribly frightened. Probably had spitless and blood-draining and freezing cold. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, all of the world, not just the Jewish people, but non-Jewish people like you and me. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. Now remember last week, some of you guys were here last week, so last week we talked about this idea of Savior. He's going to be one who delivers and brings freedom from sin and its consequences. He's going to deliver us from sin and its eternal consequences in hell. So you're born uh, for you a Savior who is Christ, and Christ means Messiah or King, the Lord. So then the angel's expectation is that they're going to go see him. So he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. He's at the local stable. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. It means harmony. It means being free of worry or fear within a, a relationship specifically among men or people with whom God is pleased. And so the angel shows up to the shepherds. Again, they're scared, spitless. That very afraid has this idea that they're shaking within themselves. And they're like, hey, don't be afraid. There's good news. There's a Savior. Someone who's going to save you from your sin and from the consequences of sin and hell. He's been born. He, he's a baby. He's in a manger. I'm not, they're probably thinking... How can a little kid save us? But he says he's come, and at peace has come among people with whom God is pleased. Again, peace. It has this idea of harmony or, or favor. It's being free of, or, of, or, uh, free of worry in, in a sense of a relationship. When it comes to God, it's specifically, this is what we're talking about here. It's not peace between people, but it's among people. It's God with us. We talked about Emmanuel, God with us. It's, it's God in the midst of people bringing himself. He's the God of peace. And so peace with God comes to those with whom he is pleased. And so the question we should be asking ourselves is, okay, if that's how there's peace with God, how do I please him? How can I be at peace with him? Well, before we answer that, we've got to figure out or see what happened here with the uh, shepherds. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry. That, that word there in the Greek means to move as fast as one can. These guys, you know, they hiked up their tunics and went flying and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. So they say, hey, this is what the angel said, and all this kind of stuff, and peace, and among men, and 
all this kind of stuff. And so Mary's like, whoa, this sounds very familiar to what I had before. All right. All who heard it, so they didn't just tell Mary and Joseph, but they told other people as they were running through town, wondered things which were told them by the shepherds. This word means to have amazement mixed with disbelief. And I'll explain that in a bit. But Mary, so here's her response, she treasured all these things. This has an idea of carefully considering what's been said and what she's heard. So she's, she's pulling all these things together. She's pondering them in her heart. So this idea of connecting all the dots of what she's being told since the first time that she met Zacharias and Elizabeth and they told her what was going on with the, the angel. The shepherds, they went back. So they, they go back to their lives, to their works, but they're changed. Now they're glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told to them. These guys couldn't move fast enough. They, they take off to Bethlehem. They find Mary and Joseph and Jesus, just as the angel said. And so they tell them what's going on. They tell them what the angel had said. But it's not just them. They're telling anybody that they have seen on the way in. They're making this known to everyone. It's interesting. There's three responses that we see here. The first response is that all who heard wondered. And again, this word means to be surprised or, or amazed. And now I'm going to get a little technical on you. Some of you guys are familiar with my, the way I teach. Here's a little grammar for you. In the Greek, this is what we call the aorist tense. And in, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's great how they, they make sure they use specific words to get us a specific information. This aorist tense means it's a definite response but without continuing effect. And so they were impacted by the message. They were like, whoa, an angel talked to you? Serious? Wow, that's unbelievable. But it, it was kind of like they're amazed, but like, yeah, I don't know, an angel showing up. Again, God hadn't spoken to Israel in 400 years. And yeah, really, was there an angel? And pretty soon that all kind of faded away to disbelief. It didn't last. They either didn't believe the story or they didn't care about the story. I mean, we have people today, they hear the gospel and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Sounds good. It's good for you, Harold. You know, you know I got other things I got to do. So Mary, though, she says, or it says of her, that she's, she's treasured this. She's pondered what's going on here. Now, this is the imperfect tense. This is a, an ongoing action. What she's doing is, is what she heard from Elizabeth as what happened with Zacharias and the angel was talking about John the Baptist and then when the angel came and talked to her and by now the angel has come and talked to Joseph and so she's got that information and now the shepherds are coming and she's just taking, and it's so much information but she's thinking about it and wondering about it and like I said, she's connecting the dots. This is another word for meditating. She's thinking about it and wondering, how does this impact my life? What, what's the ongoing results of this? this is a, she's filling her heart and her mind. She's considering all that's being said. And then how about the shepherds? Well, it says there that they returned to their lives. They returned to their work. They went right back to taking care of the sheep, glorifying and praising God. This is a present tense active voice, which means it's a continual choice of their will. The active is that they have made a choice for themselves that we are going to glorify God. And to glorify God means just to make Him known. To let other people know what's going on about who God is. To, to reflect Him back to people how we live our lives and what we say and, and the things that we talk about and literally telling people about God. And so they went back to glorifying God. Telling each other, telling other people, probably telling the sheep. You know, here's who God is. 
And they're like, that's a bad idea. Anyways, sorry. Couldn't help, I'm sorry. Couldn't help myself. I got to work on my jokes for the, the next grandchild coming along because Oliver and Ben and Thea, they've already heard them. But they were glorifying God and they were praising him. But it was a lifestyle change. This, this had continual effect. This went on and on and on. So we get the impression and the understanding that this was part of their lives. Their lives changed. Yes, they went back to their normal lives, but they went back with a different purpose. They went back with a different understanding, a different focus. What God had promised them had actually come true, and when they saw it, they couldn't believe it. And it, it impacted and it changed their lives. And so the question for us is, what's, what's our response? What's your response to this message, to what you've heard, what you've read from Luke's gospel? The fact that you don't have to fear. If you're a person here tonight and you've heard that there's a God who judges, and, but you don't know the other half of it, and so you've feared that, you're, you've wondered about that, there's, there's a fact that he has made peace possible. And so my prayer has been, as I've been working on this message and thinking about Christmas, and I know our leadership team, our prayer is that you would be like Mary, that you would, you would think about these things, ponder these things, to, to understand, okay, connect the dots. Don't just take somebody else's word for it. But you would desire to know that God is offering you peace with him, forgiveness of sins and peace with him. So God says it comes to those who please him. So what does it mean to please God? So I just want to take a few minutes here before we close and just kind of walk through this with you. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. And it says this. It answers this question perfectly. It says, And without faith, that's the Greek is uh, pistis, which means to, to, it's trust based on the person making the promise. So like if, I, if I said, Hey, I'm going to do this for you, and you knew me well enough, you're like, hey, he's a, he's a guy who keeps his word, then you would have faith in me. But if I was a guy, I promise you something, but you're like, she never follows through. You would not have faith in me. And so faith is trust based on the person making a promise. So without faith, it is impossible. That word means to be without power or ability. So you have no ability, no power to please him or to please God. For he who comes to God, who wants this relationship God, who wants peace from God, must believe. That's the same word, just the, the verb. It means to fully trust with your life that he is, that he exists, that he is a self-existing one, that there is, there is a God. He is the only God. He's eternal. There are no other gods. And that he is a rewarder. So he gives good things based on faith. Now, in this case, we're talking about salvation to those who seek him. And so, how do you please God? To have peace with God, you need to please God. How do you please God? You please God by faith. By trusting in the promise that he makes. You, you believe that he is, that he exists, that he's the self-existing one, he has always existed. Everything starts with him, everything ends with him. But it's not just knowing that intellectually. Because the writer of Hebrews takes us another step further. It's not just going, yeah, I believe God exists. Yeah, I believe there could be such a being. No, it's not just believing that, but he is the one who rewards. He is the one who gives this peace that we're talking about for those who seek him, those who turn to him. 
Now, what should you specifically trust? There's another verse. It comes out of Colossians. Paul writes and he says, For it was God the Father's good pleasure for all fullness, the fullness of God, to dwell in Him. The fact is that Jesus is God. He wasn't a created being. He is God the Son who became man. And through Him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself. And that means, uh, that word there in the Greek means to fix the relationship, in this case, with God that was broken. Having made peace, how? Through the blood of his cross. So peace with God is through Jesus' death on the cross. Again, Jesus is God. God the Son. We know of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so God the Son comes to earth, becomes man. We named well, God named him Jesus. And it's he who fixes the broken relationship. It's he who brings peace between us and God. And he did that by dying our eternal death on the cross. When he went to the cross, he didn't die for anything he did. He was perfect. He died on the cross, the Bible tells us, because of our sin. Where we should spend eternity in hell for our sin, Jesus, God, was infinitely powerful to die your sin or your death and my death for our sin. He's able to do it. He's infinitely powerful. He can do that. So then what happens if you take that step of faith? What, what if you move forward and say, I'm, I'm going to put my full weight of trust on what God says and what He promises that if I trust Him, if I ask Him to forgive me for my sins and I believe Jesus did it, then what happens? Here's what Romans tells us. Therefore, Having been justified, this is a legal term, God is judge. And so it's a legal term, it means to declare someone not guilty. So we have been, having been justified by faith, trusting God and what he says, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So God will declare you not guilty of your sin. No matter how bad you think your sin has been, no matter how far down that road you've gone, God is infinitely powerful. Jesus is God who is infinitely powerful. His death on the cross will cover your death penalty, my death penalty. And when we ask Him to forgive us of our sins, we say, I trust you that, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, putting my full weight of trust in my entire life on that. God will justify you. He will declare you not guilty. And when that sin is removed, now there's peace between you and God. Peace because God, the Holy Spirit, then is given to us, which is a whole other message. So as we close, what are our takeaways from what God's told us? Well, for some of you tonight, your takeaway, what, what I'm challenging you to do and I would desire for you to do and praying for you to do, I did this back when I was a kid, is to accept God's offer to bring peace between you and Him. Take the opportunity to ask God to forgive you of your sin. Tell Him that, hey, listen, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm believing what you said. My whole life is yours. From this day forward into eternity, because I believe Jesus died on a cross for my sins. And then thank him. In fact, what I want to do right now is just go ahead and close your eyes. And so for, you know, for some people, it's, it's, a, it's kind of hard. All, a lot of stuff you just talked about, Harold, and 
My mind is kind of swimming. Maybe like Mary, you know, you got a lot of stuff going on. So what I want to do is this. I just want to, I want to pray a prayer. So everyone's eyes closed. The band's coming up, getting ready for the last song, but don't let that distract you. If this is you, if you're like, man, I need to have peace with God. I need to know that he's forgiving me of my sins. Let me just challenge you. Just pray a prayer similar to this one. I'm going to lead you. You just pray your heart to God's heart. And just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And that I'm not at peace with you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus died for me. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for, my, for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can open up your eyes. If you prayed that prayer tonight, I would love to know that. You can catch me out in the lobby. Uh, just come up to me and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. You know, I'll high-five with you, hi, and just kick you out, get home. you got things to do at home, right? I won't kick you. Um, or you can fill out a, a Connect card, put your name on it, on the backside, I trusted in Christ. And if you want us to contact you with some information to kind of help you get moving in that direction, you can put your contact information. Or, we're trying something different. Um, you could actually text the word yes northward because you're at the northward campus to 97000 uh, or scan the qr code and uh, just let us know that you've made that decision as well appreciate you doing that if you if you would now one last thing hello hello band good to see you guys great job tonight no serious all right for the rest of us it should be a two up there for the believers those of us who already made that decision, we have something to do too. Our takeaway needs to be that we need to be like the shepherds. We need to live life glorifying and praising God. We need to let, let people know that we follow Jesus Christ, that we know him as our Lord and Savior, and to make that message known to everybody who needs it in our lives. Well, we're going to close with a final song, but before I do that, I just want to... Um, invite you to come back tomorrow night at 7 if you'd like to have a, a carol sing we're going to do that tonight tomorrow night at 7 p.m or come back next week we're going to continue on through luke and we'd love to have you join us for that but for right now let's go ahead and stand and we'll join with the band and we'll close out the service with this song